growing up um, among the middle schoolers of zip code 32807. Uh, I was a big deal. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you know this or not. I was a part of the Orlando Raptors. And do we have a picture that we could show? Yeah, I was a big deal. All right. Did not mess with me. I could play power forward and point guard at the same time at 10 years old. So you just better watch out. And uh, yeah, so, you know, and um, there was humble beginnings, you know, uh, started out in driveways, you know, in local neighborhood, uh, you know, courts and but then we moved on to bigger and better things, you know, uh, you know, unair-conditioned gymnasiums, and uh, almost we had referees for most of our games, and and actually we were uh, we were pretty good. Um, at some point, we uh, we started to win some games. Do we have a picture of that? We can maybe show just a picture there. And uh, at some point, we actually got sponsored uh, all the way from sixth grade till twelfth grade. Uh, either either Adidas or Fila or Nike, somebody sponsored us, and this is actually true. We uh, flew around the country, and so my summers were full of. Uh, we flew all the way to Las Vegas, up to New York, and we didn't have to pay a dollar. And our team was pretty good. We were uh, actually. Do we have another picture? And we got. We would have write-ups in the newspaper, and uh, if you see the cute one, just find the cute one there. That's me in the picture. And uh, so we had some write-ups. There's one there. And, uh, yeah, so we were pretty good. In fact, at some point, we won uh, over 130 games straight over two years. And so we were pretty good. In fact, we, I played against many of the top NBA players that are here, that are now in the NBA. I, I played against them. Some were even on my team, and I don't want to bore you with those facts. Uh, we can talk after. But uh, so what would happen is that because we were so good, uh, they, we would file around the country and our, our core team wasn't able to always make the games, right? So what we would do is we would, if we would play in North Carolina and we played a player there that was really good, we would call them up and say, hey, we have a tournament in Las Vegas, join us. And it's free. And of course they would come. And so we randomly always had kind of different players that would end up on our team as we traveled around from uh, state to state to play. And I remember specifically one time this uh, this guy comes in off the he was playing in the game and he comes over to the bench where I basically spent most of my time. Um, and so I'm still in my warm up, uh, you know, jacket or whatever that was paid by somebody else. And and he sat next to me. And I'm not joking. So he's like sweating. And he, he his comment was this. He goes, man, man, they go at you so hard on this team. You know, we had won 130 games straight, right? Everybody's going after us, you know. He's like, man, they ain't no joke. And I don't know why, but I was like in seventh grade, and this was my response. I'm not joking. I just looked at him, and I was like, Joe, the moment that you chose to put on the Raptors uniform is the moment that you chose to be a target for the spears of the other team. Like I said, something like that, you know. <laughs> and uh, no joke, it was something like that. I probably had the last three games of not playing to figure that, that uh, sentence out. But I remember saying something like that, and he kind of looked back at me like, what are you smoking, kid? <laughs> you know. Uh, and uh, I, I just, I feel like that sometimes uh, people can approach Christianity somewhat the same way. You know, it's kind of like, well, uh, once I come to Jesus and I wear the Jesus jersey, that apparently the other team is just going to go, oh, well, I didn't realize you were a raptor. You know, I'm just going to go easy on you. As, as if coming to Christ means that we have no more problems, no more pain, no more challenges. The only problem with that, uh, that fact is that it's not true. 
In fact, the gospel is initially not about making bad people good, but about making dead people alive. And so let me say it like this. The gospel or Christianity is not a a self-help program of seven steps to success. It's more like a grave robbing movement. Raising people from being six feet dead in their sin and their decay and their anger and their junk in which I was at some point in my life. That is what we are about. Jesus is way more in the grave robbing business than he is in the self-help business. Now, I don't mean that there's not biblical principles that will make us better, but we are not here just to get better. We're here to be alive. Come on. That's a big amen. Amen. And I'm here to tell you this morning that the moment you put on the Jesus jersey, let me just give you the seventh grade wisdom again. Joe, the moment you put on that jersey is the moment that you signed up for attack from the enemy. There is a fight that is going on that now you are on God's team and now the enemy wants to take you out. Now, here's what I want to tell you is that it's a fight that you will and can overcome, but it's a fight that you must fight. And we can't look at it any other way. And that fight is a battle between the devil wanting to keep people dead and God wanting to raise them to life. And this whole thing in the book of Acts that we're getting into as we are in in part seven of our series on the empowered church, on the book of Acts, uh, we're looking at two men, specifically Peter and John, that are bold in their faith for God. And as we are in this fight, it requires you and me to be bold in our faith in Jesus and his mission. And so I am so fired up to to, to invite you to turn to Acts chapter 4 verse 1. And if I end up running around this room, I just apologize in advance. All right? I love this scripture. I love this passage. I almost feel like I could literally just read it and we could just go home. And, and I think it's enough in itself. It is so good. Acts chapter 4, verse 1. I encourage everybody, would you open up your smartphones, open up your Bibles if you have them, to Acts chapter 4, verse 1. And let me give you some background to fill you in. Uh, God has looked at all of humanity and has, and has compassion on our deadness. And as a result, he sent himself being his son to die on the cross and to go six feet under in death. And he was raised to life. And because Jesus was raised to life, anyone and everyone today that believes on him, you will be raised to life. And Jesus said this in the book of Acts as we start out. He gives his disciples, his team, his followers, he gives them three main things in my opinion. He gives them a commission to go change the world. And that commission still stands for us today. Look to your neighbor and say, go change the world. Look at it again and say, I mean it. He said, go change the world. The second thing he does is he gives them a command to wait. For the third thing, the promise of the Holy Spirit. And so in Acts chapter 2, we've discovered that, uh, that they waited and the Holy Spirit filled them with power to go and do his mission. And so Acts chapter 3, or I'm sorry, at the end of Acts chapter 2, Peter gets up. The same Peter we're going to look at today. He gets up and he proclaims the name of Jesus with boldness. 
And the Bible says that 3,000 people were added that day. The movement starts to build. And so you know what? And Jesus told them, he said, I'm going to give you power to preach my name to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so you know what they did? They started right in Jerusalem. And now in Jerusalem, 3,000 people are following Jesus. And so then we open up with Acts chapter 3. And Peter and John, once again, they're walking into the temple courts. And there's this man that's been crippled for 43 years. And he's asking for some money. And all of a sudden, you heard the text and pastor preached it just a few weeks ago. He said, Peter and John looked at him and he said, hey, young man, look at me in the eye. I don't have any money to give you, but what I have, I will give you in the name of Jesus. Get up and walk. That man got up and walked. And of course, that walk turned into a run very quickly, didn't it? It caused a huge commotion. And so, and so Peter automatically, he gets a crowd. But what does he do? He's bold, right? He starts preaching. And he says, repent. Come to God. There's a better way to live. If you don't change your life, you're going to go to hell. You need to change it. Come on, listen to me. And he's preaching and he's proclaiming. And some people are believing and some people aren't. And so he gets up and, and now we pick up in Acts chapter 4 with Peter and John who nobody can shut them up and nobody can shut them down. And they're against in opposition against some religious leaders and some and some uh, basically the police force trying to keep this mob from getting out of hand, this Jesus mob. So are you with me? Acts chapter 4. Oh my goodness, I can't wait to share this with you. If you don't know, man, I'm so excited to share this with you. Acts 4. The priests and the captains of the temple guard and and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. And they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. If you notice, uh, the Sadducees had issues with Jesus proclaiming, or with Peter proclaiming Jesus as the resurrected Jesus, because Sadducees do not believe in the resurrection. An easy way to remember it is because they're sad, you see? Because Jesus... All right, so there you go. That's a free one, okay? Yeah, we learned something today in church. And they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But listen to this, verse 4. Ah. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. Come on. Where is Jerusalem at? There it is, right here. It started with 12, and then it moves to 70, and then it's at 120, and then it's at 3,000, and now we're at 5,000. This is awesome. This is our story. This is how we got here today. This is unbelievable. And so the next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. I've got to stop for a second. You know who these rulers and elders and teachers of the law are? It's the same people that just crucified Jesus. So when Peter and John are taken from these men, they've got to be thinking that they're about to die. I mean, or at least they're on a path to death, right? But they still have so much boldness. Let's listen for the boldness. Ah, I can't handle this. Verse 6. Annas, uh, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Do you notice that the name and the power are synonymous together? 
that they recognized that it wasn't just some type of power, but the reason why the name was such a big deal is because the name represented a person. So saying, who is making this happen? That is the question that they're asking. And then verse 8, the Bible says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, i got to stop again. I can't handle myself. Okay, that word filled. Is it just like they had been filled at some point, even though that's true? In Acts chapter 2, right, we study that they had already been filled. They were baptized with the Holy Spirit. But what this says in the Greek is that they were refilled. You know what that tells me is that is that God will fill you or anoint you. Both of those could be pretty much synonymous with each other. That he will anoint you and appoint you for seasons, for moments, and for circumstances. And right here, Peter needed a fresh filling of the Spirit to do what God had called him to do. And that is so important for us to get. I know for my wife and I, we just we have a year and a half, we have a one and a half year old right now. And, uh, and I know there's another couple actually in this, in this uh, audience today, and they have a one-and-a-half-year-old, right? And we, we were talking about it as, as, our, as our kids were born. And one of the things Natalie and I did immediately was we were praying that God would anoint us for this new season. And when you have cancer come against your body, when you have disease that might come against your family, or if there's attack against your family, we need to lean into the presence of God. We need to lean into the Spirit of God and say, God, would you anoint me for this circumstance? Would you fill me for this moment? God, would you appoint me for this season? And I believe that God will do that in you. And so they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is what they said. They said, rulers and elders of the people, if we are called together to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple, and we are being asked how he was healed, then know this. Come on, man. It's so sick. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Come on. This is this is awesome. You could feel the boldness in this moment. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. You know what he's saying there? He's saying what Jesus approved to pay the price for what you can't do, you rejected. And now he is a capstone to you. And then he gets even clearer in his message on Jesus. Verse 12. Oh man. I don't know what I'm going to do. I might throw this water bottle out into the crowd. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven. Given to men by which we must be saved. Did you notice that Luke sa- or that Peter says we. In other words. I have to come into faith with him. I want to be very clear right now that anything, any type of teaching that that would say that there's another way to get to heaven outside of a relationship with Jesus is false teaching. It's wrong. I want to be very clear today. There is no other name. And we live in a pluralistic society where we feel like we can kind of just kind of mix in different gods and different thinking and what might work and what might. That does not work and that will not save your soul. Only a relationship with Jesus Christ will save your soul. And if you're here today, yeah, you can can shout about it. What do you want to do? 
If you're here today and you do not have a relationship with Jesus, I did not ask you if you attend church. I did not ask you if you consider yourself a member somewhere. I did not ask you if you sing in a band or whatever you might. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus, then you do not have a relationship with Jesus. And your soul has not been saved from the six feet under death and sin that all of us have to come to. And I want to tell you today that I am so excited that Jesus has saved my soul. And I believe and I know that he can do the same for you. But here's the thing. My son, I cannot save. My one and a half year old, Ethan, at some point, he is going to have to come to Christ. At some point, my relationship with God cannot be his relationship with God. He has to have his own. And every person in here You need to have a relationship with Jesus, and it is the greatest thing that will ever happen to you. It will take you further than you could ever imagine. And you're seeing two people right here that are literally changing the face of the earth because of that relationship with Jesus. And when they saw the courage, verse 13, of Peter and John and realized that these were unschooled. Oh, my goodness. I can't handle these verses. Ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. You know what this means? Everybody gets to play. You don't have to be educated to see a move of God happen in your city or in your family. You don't have to have the mic in order to do something in the mission. Man, everybody gets to join in. You don't have to have a title. You don't have to be a deacon. You don't have to be a small group leader. You don't have to be any of those things to make a difference in the kingdom of God. Everybody gets to play. And you may be here and you say, man, I don't even have a high school education. Can I tell you, you don't need a high school education to do something for God. And don't let that education disqualify you when God has qualified you. I'm not saying let's not get educated. I'm not saying let's not learn. Let's not think of the answers. But ultimately, there's something better than knowing all the answers. It's knowing the answer in him. And if you're a mom today, if you're a dad today, if you're a teacher today, whatever, if you're a business owner, you're an employee, the greatest thing you can do is tap into the presence of God. Oh, this is so good. They were ordinary, untrained, unschooled men that were shaping the world in front of them. Come on. I can't take it. I told you. I've already preached this one time. You should have saw me first service. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. And so they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and then they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle, and we can't deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further, among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John, come on. I mean, Peter and John got to be going, are you serious? I mean, don't you already know? We ain't shutting up and we ain't shutting down. Are you serious? Do you think that's going to work? So look at what they say. Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. You know, boldness in Jesus is fearing God more than fearing man. It's fearing God more than fearing man. I heard a pastor just recently. He was uh, challenged on seeing uh, whatever the uh, Pierce Morgan show about the area of sexuality. 
And, he, and, and Pierce Morgan asked this pastor, he said, hey, do you ever see pastors at some point changing their stance on this? And then the pastor said, I don't. And he looked, you could YouTube it if you want. It was Rick Warren. And he looked at me, it's only like a two-minute video, and he said, Pierce, I do not fear you more than I fear God. I mean, it was just so powerful. I was like, I was on the other screen going, yes, go, go, Rick. I'm like, this is awesome. Yes. Right? And we cannot fear man more than fear God. That's one of our, one of our biggest idols in America is that we care what people think way too much. And it disqualifies us from being able to do the mission. And we want to fit into the crowd and, and kind of do our thing. And I'm not against all that. But man, at some point, even as we get into the world, we're not fearing them. They can't take us out. They can't do anything to us. We've got to be bold for God. For we, verse 20, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Oh, man, I'm just going to keep going on. I can't even. Verse 21, after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Okay. Okay. They are, they are ants right now. I mean, just think about it. Peter and John, they see this dude crippled. Uh, they're not sure if he's really going to get healed. I mean, they have faith for it, but I mean, God ultimately does it, right? I mean, you lay, you, and if you've experienced God healing, healing somebody through you, right? You don't really do it. You're not really exactly sure if it's going to happen. You do have faith for it, but you, you know, God's got to do it, right? And so, I mean, God heals them. I mean, this thing blows up. Peter starts preaching, and then he gets like basically handcuffed. He's in the Sanhedrin. The same people that, are, that just took Jesus out now are looking at him. He's probably thinking he's never going to get out again. And all of a sudden, he's walking out again. They didn't know what to do with him. So he comes back to his crew. Okay? And now you have this moment where you have all of, the, all of these uh, followers of Jesus that are at this home. And all of a sudden, Peter and John show up. And I guarantee you, they're like, yes. Right? Okay, so just hear it. You're going to hear it in the text. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. They said, Sovereign Lord, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. God, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And he said, Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain and the kings of the earth take their stand? And the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. God, indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Oh, my gosh, I can't handle this. Verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great what? such backbone you know what's going on here in the midst of opposition they're choosing god's plan over their preference what would that look like for you and i i don't know about you if i didn't read this text and if if this doesn't if this wouldn't have shaped the way that i would approach challenges i would probably be asking god to to get me out of this but they realized that them getting out of this would be their preferences going above God's plan. And so they say, God, don't get us out of this. Give us the boldness to get through this. 
Because as we face the opposition, your name is being elevated higher and higher and higher. And so then you see in verse 30, stretch out your hand, O God, to heal and to perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled. That word once again, they were refilled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God. What? Ah, this is not incredible. Okay, now just put it all together, all right? Hopefully the keys are, somebody's going to come and play the keyboard. He's got two minutes or else I'm going to go play it. Um, okay, so, so it was just Peter and John that were bold and filled. They exercised that boldness and they exercised the power that God gave them. And now all of a sudden we go through this opposition, but now the whole congregation, did you recognize that last verse? Now they're all filled and now they're all ready to get bold. You want to see a city saved? I mean, that was, that was a, that was a, you should respond to that. Do you want to see your city saved? I mean, do you really honestly want to see every person everywhere, an absolute game changer in our city, in the city of Sanford? We do, right? It starts with God changing you and giving you boldness. And when he gives you boldness, it gets contagious. And oh man, this thing can break out. It can break up. Oh, it's just incredible. Nothing could step, nothing could, could get them out of the way. And one of the questions that comes is why were they able, why were these ordinary men able to do extraordinary things, right? Kind of two verses that stick out to me is verse 13. The Bible says they had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. They didn't just know all the answers, they knew the answer. They'd spend time with him. And then verse 8 says they received his spirit fresh for that day. And I think the same thing with us. Now, all right, so let's close this thing. I don't know about you, but I am challenged by reading that, that I should be more bold. Yes? Right? I mean, we're all feeling that, right? It's God inside of us. Like, man, I, and as I read this text, and as I was really asking God to shape me before I ever tried to get up here and try to ask God to shape you, I was really wrestling this thing. And I'm, I'm, I really, I kind of walked out of there going, man, I am not bold enough. God, you must be upset with me and frustrated with me. And I'm a leader at this church. And people are looking at me to step up. And, man, I'm just, I'm like, I'm kind of bold. But, man, there's so many more things that I could do and, and all this thing. And, and I just felt like the Spirit so clearly just said, Glenn, you do not need to conjure up boldness at all. You need to come to me with your weakness. And I will give you boldness. And so I just want to be clear. If this is you and God, you do right now in this moment, you're thinking, okay, I need more boldness. It's not you distancing yourself from God and conjuring up boldness on your own and then presenting it back up to him. It's you coming over to him in your weakness and saying, God, would you fill me? Okay, now let's all let's tie it all together. Y'all with me? And then we're going to pray today. So Acts 1, Jesus says, go. But what does he tell him to do? Wait. Because Glenn, because City Church, I've called you to go. But you can't go change them until I first change you. And the power to change them and the boldness to change them is going to happen when you get in close proximity with me. And you know what I'm talking about, don't you? When you don't spend time with God, your boldness goes out the drain, doesn't it? And when you spend time with God, your boldness skyrocketed, right? When we had Awakening Revival Conference, and if you were happen to come here all three nights, right, if you actually did that, uh, right, just 
just being in the presence of God for a couple days in a row, you're walking around like, have you, what's your name? Do you believe in Jesus? I mean, you're like, you, you can't handle yourself. You know, you're like, you know, you, you got this spiritual high going on, right? And man, that's what I believe God wants for all of us. So you know what? I asked the team to sing this song, Draw Me Close to You. Firstly, because I like it. And since I'm here, I get, I get an opportunity to be a part of it. Secondly, I felt like, I felt like there's no better way we could close this thing. And, and before we sing it, can I just ask some questions? What would it look like if our city was bold? What would it look like if your family was bold in Jesus? And what would it look like if your marriage and our church, man, was bold in his name, backbone? God, consider their threats, but enable us to get through them. Stretch out your hand to heal our city. What would that look like if you bold. That's why I felt like this song was so good. And I think we can start today, right here, right now in this service, with asking God for boldness. And remember, it's not us conjuring it up. It's us coming to Him in our weakness and saying something like this. Draw me close to you. See, I like this song. I thought it was good. Never let me go. Never let me this line. I lay it all down. I lay it all down.